0: Minute, and uh I'm not hearing any music in the background, so I'm assuming that means we're on. Good morning. I think
1: we're on. I
0: think yeah. <laughs> I think we're on. Good morning. It's Wednesday the twelfth of January, twenty twenty two. First show of the year. Time for another edition of doc of the Rock and what a difference a month makes. In uh December we're we were back at it in person in the studio with Omicron just starting to rear its ugly head and mm-hmm. now we're really in a place many feel is at are worse since the pandemic began and we're back to having a virtual show again. On the conference today, we have Dr. Shanna Theobald from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic. Thank you very much for taking time to make time to, for the show. Dr. Jones is supposed to be on the call. He hasn't appeared as of yet, but we imagine he'll pop up during the middle of it. And Amy Corder, the Incident Management Coordinator, among your other hats, uh, you're wearing over there at Providence, here to talk about what's going on at uh, in the community at large and to answer your questions. We already have a handful from listeners who've already sent them in before the show. We expect we'll get many more during the course of the program, so we'll plod right into it. in the In the room with me today, I have Jared Griffith, Dr. Jared Griffith yeah, from Thank you, thank you. I, thank from uh, the KMXT Newsroom and Kodiak College and Dylan Samard from the KMX2 News Department. If you have questions, many of you call the station, 486-3181, or shoot us an email. We're monitoring here in the room, down at kmxt.org, and we'll try and get your questions answered before the end of the show. Morning, folks. Good, Good morning.
2: morning. Good morning.
0: Who wants to go first and tell me <laughs> what life is life now, like it now at the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic? Because you, po- you folks have seemingly taken over uh, social media, at least, as far as congratulatory messages and messages of care and, um, and, and, and the place to go, I guess, to get a test.
3: Yeah. Good morning. Happy New Year. And um, it has been (laughs) very busy at our clinic. And part of it is just because we do have testing capability. We've just been trying to fit in as many tests as possible um, and do whatever, you know, kind of pick up whatever needs to be done in the community. It has been extremely busy and our staff are have been working very, very hard. And um, a few of them have actually contracted COVID. So we're working on minimal staff right now, which is kind of, I mean, if you look across the country, that is the typical pattern with COVID is that a lot of people are out and because they're isolating because they have been either close contact, not up to date on their booster or actually have gotten it in spite of the vaccine. So yeah, it's been very difficult, but also, I mean, just part of this pandemic so far
0: you have lines going on down the road i guess from
3: yeah we have we've been doing 130 to 150 plus tests a day with pretty minimal staff and then of those at least thursday friday i'm not sure you know monday tuesday how it's been but at least 50 plus positive out of that stack every day so it's i mean as you've seen in the local kodiak numbers i think we're up to around 500 plus active cases now and have had a hundred to 200 positives per day in the community. So, yeah, I believe,
4: sorry, I don't mean to interrupt just to have the most updated information. I believe that Mike Twenge during the city council meeting last night said that there were like another 70, which I believe would put us um, over 600. I want to say.
0: So, so my, my, Big question, you, you folks there are all the professionals in dealing with this and you're fully protected. You're dealing with a lot of infected people all the time and you're seeing that the people who are working in the, your clinic who are vaccinated and fully protected are still catching the disease.
3: Yes, that is correct. Um, I'm To be completely honest, we've had so much turnover. I'm not sure of the vaccination status of all of our workers at this time. And it's been hard to even, you know, just even keep up on that because we have had so much turnover. But I know at least a couple of the vaccinated ones have contracted it. And there are the ones who are doing probably, you know, a, a lion's share of the testing, meaning they're in close proximity with a lot of people with a lot of Covid and as we know, Omicron is extremely contagious, extremely transmissible. So even when you are wearing all of your PPE, if you're if you have that burden of exposure throughout your day, there is a high chance that you're going to get some of that virus in you. And without an update, the, the latest data, I think there's a study in the UK shows that the vaccine is 88% effective if you've had your booster within you know two weeks to several months, but it is not. Um, it drops if you haven't had your booster within or within six months to about 50% effective.
0: Amy, can you and, tell, tell us what's going on at the hospital right now? I
2: would say similar to what um, was already stated, we increased our activation level to orange, which means we're looking at our outpatient operations on a daily basis to make sure that we can still safely provide them. Staffing has been our biggest issue with staff contracting it or having – family members who've contracted it, that they have to stay home with kiddos, that type of thing. Um, So trying to make sure that we can adequately and safely staff. We're a little bit fortunate, and unlike the frontline primary care docs, um, hospitalizations usually lag five to seven, up to 10 days from community numbers. So we get a little bit of a window when we start seeing that to prepare and make movements in anticipation of increased hospitalizations coming down um, the road. So we are working through all of those plans at this point um, and then kind of following up to the, we are seeing people who were vaccinated um, contracting Omicron. However, throughout the state and throughout the country, those continue to have a substantially lower risk of hospitalization and severe illness. So it is something that they can manage at home And do that type of thing. So, yes, we're seeing breakthrough cases. The vaccine doesn't 100 percent prevent you from getting it, but it does seem to still be very effective in keeping you from having to seek higher level medical care and end up in a hospital.
4: So while it does seem apparent that the uh, severity of the cases is reduced, what you're saying is that breakthrough cases are almost becoming the norm now?
2: With Omicron, it seems like there's substantially more than there were with Delta um, of what our breakthrough cases.
0: Hospital capacity is is what?
2: So at this point, we um, have actually quite a few patients up on the floor, not all related to COVID. Um, what we're starting to see throughout the state is that staffing is starting to impact transfer abilities. And so that's one of the things we watch. Um, We're still on what we consider traditional care. Um, So it's still, you have your assigned nurse during the day. We haven't moved to kind of some of the team approach models um, where one nurse oversees more with assistance, helping more in the room. Um, Those are kind of some of our surge plans as we have increased Numbers we haven't had to move into that um, because we've been able to manage with staffing and the patient um, complexities that we have. Um, But we are on a statewide call every morning, and throughout the state, the bigger facilities are starting to get more transfers coming in, starting to fill up again. And so that's where it's not just a discussion about how many COVID patients do we have in the hospital. Because if you get in a car accident on the icy roads in the morning, that may take a bed. in the hospital, and as all of those beds fill up, we lose capacity to transfer, and um, we have to modify how we do things. So, we anticipate increased hospitalizations related to COVID, also coming, um, but just kind of that overall healthcare picture.
0: Are our secondary uh, medical procedures being reduced again?
2: At this point, no, we haven't reduced um, any of them. We are reviewing every morning kind of what we've got, what we're projecting. We've got caregivers out. Um, We had more than 10 caregivers out sick throughout the facilities um, yesterday. And so we're looking at what's their projected return to work dates, trying to make sure that if you have a procedure here, we're gonna be able to do all the follow-up care that you need. Um, so it is definitely a d- daily discussion to make sure that we're going to be able to continue to provide the safe care. And if you end up needing a higher level of care for any reason, that we've got a bed um, ready for you.
0: Uh, d- Dr. Jones has joined us, but I want to ask you this question first, Shannon, before I turn it over to him. Are you totally consumed with COVID, or is there still room in your clinic to treat everyday uh, clients and are we seeing an increase in flu or an increase in flu and COVID? And RSV. RSV, yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, we are seeing, we are still seeing regular patients. We're really trying to keep COVID out of the clinic and keep our rooms safe. I will say we have tested people and they've been negative that morning Had a fever on their vital signs in clinic. We retested them and they were positive. So, just as kind of a fair warning to people with the level of Omicron in our, or the level of COVID, which we presume is Omicron, we haven't, we don't have exact genetic testing to um, prove, you know, what percentage of cases are Omicron here in Kodiak. But um, based on that, I would say the, I mean, it's everywhere at this point. Dr. Fauci said, At some point, everyone's probably going to get infected with Omicron, regardless of vaccination status, and we are seeing that. Um, So I would say if you are high risk, if you can wait on, you know, just really basic preventive healthcare stuff that doesn't need to be taken care of, um, I would wait till after the surge just because there is no guarantee at this point. We're we're doing our best, but it's very difficult to make sure that, you know, any public space is a completely safe place at this point. Um, We are pretty i'd say 90% of our work right now is covid related between testing still vaccinating and treating we are we basically converted a separate room into the monoclonal antibody infusion center it's not we've completely separated it out from our main clinic area so we're trying to keep that a safe space still but also treat people who are at high risk of progression to severe disease to prevent them from needing hospitalization, um, it's yeah. We can talk about treatments later. It's it is still really tricky right now with, with even the treatments that we do have. Again, get your vaccine, <laughs> get boosted. That's the best thing that we can do for you right now.
4: Thanks. If I may ask a quick follow up, you said that you know everyone is going to get it. Um, and we are presently in a big wave of it, do you mean that everyone is going to get Omicron like in the next year, or is the expectation literally that everyone will get it during this wave, which is presumably over the next two months?
3: That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I I think it really depends. I think over the next year, and I mean, not by everyone, I'm not sure that every single person is going to get it, obviously 100%, but it just the way that it's spreading and then when vaccination status does wear you know the booster kind of vaccine effect does wear down that does put people at risk to get it so um good question i don't know if anyone else has more (laughs) insight into that
0: morning dr jones
5: good morning sorry about being a little late i couldn't find the link at first
0: (laughs) no worries it's it's a never mind um, <laughs> it
5: gets lost in my email yeah it was there it was there fine i just it was in the covid took it the covid took it <laughs> I, I think what fauci is saying is just simply that over time all of us are going to get it but a lot of us are going to get it in this way um, and people feel there's almost this sense of people feeling bad when they get covid Um, I think you can be as careful as you want unless you lock yourself in your house, which I don't want anyone doing. Um, There's a there's a good chance that you're going to get this this variant. Um, And so I I think that's what he's saying. It's highly transmissible. Um, It's probably not more transmissible than the Delta variant. The big difference is simply that, uh, and we don't know that for sure, just reading articles on it, the biggest difference is it kind of ignores most of the vaccinations. But the big reason why we hammer home vaccinations is that the early data is um, 13 times as many people are being hospitalized who are unvaccinated as compared to vaccinated. And so it has pretty good protection against serious disease and so our our big thing is trying to keep the hospital empty and when we're discussing it uh, recently uh, my big goal is to go back to the original goal of wearing masks my big thing is to keep keep the cases down a little bit well the cases are super high and so i wear a mask everywhere i go again uh, a lot of people don't that's that's fine um, but I would encourage people to wear a mask when you're out in public because this is highly transmissible. I mean, there are some people who uh, are uh, – I have more than one person who's on their third bout of COVID at this point because the Omicron came through, wow. and now they have this one too.
0: What a horror. Yeah. what What's what, uh, what what's the Canna Clinic like now? I mean, compared to a month ago, what, what kind of traffic are you seeing are you different – protocols? So big, are you, are you losing the staff?
5: Issue, yeah, the biggest issue is our, our own workers. Um, a lot of them are turning positive. I know She had some difficulty with it um, and trying to keep everyone staffed uh, and keep the clinic just running with people who don't have COVID. Um, that's probably the most difficult portion of it. Uh, the numbers are certainly up. It, it doesn't seem to affect as many people as the early ones. There, are, It does seem to be hitting kids uh, a little bit harder than it did uh, some of the previous uh, runs through town. And so we're having a lot of scared parents who call with kind of minor symptoms in kids, to be honest. Uh, but, but it's scary. And I, I get that. Um, like we mentioned earlier, though, it, I've seen more RSV in single days. Uh, and I didn't see any RSV last year where I mean, I probably got 15 or 20 positive RSVs last week. Wow. Um, tons of, of RSV, which is far more, as far as we know, far more hazardous to young children uh, than COVID. And so that's a little more worrisome than, than anything, especially when we're talking babies and, and uh, RSV is pretty rough on them, where COVID doesn't seem to be quite as hard on them.
4: Any intel on where all this RSV came from?
5: Well, we've relaxed. And so the argument, I don't think masks really work, is is a bunch of garbage. Masks do work. That's why we wear them in surgery, and they don't kill people because we have surgeons wearing them all day long, and they don't seem to be dropping dead in the OR. But um, we've kind of relaxed our masking standards, and we've kind of relaxed... uh, how careful we are about social gatherings, and RSV is kind of a part of our life, and it's made a resurgence since we're not being as careful as we used to be.
1: Um, I'd like to circle back to something that uh, uh, Shanna had had mentioned, that uh, uh, a patient comes in and they, they test negative, and then it seems like they develop a fever, and then they do a test a few hours later, and then the test is positive. And um, I, I've seen this concern in students and, and colleagues, too. They'll have symptoms. They will test it'll be the, using the, um, the rapid test, the, you know, the take-home test, and um, it'll be negative. But then a day or two later, they'll test again, and, and there will be positive. So, um, and this also comes from a couple of listener questions, too. You know, we're curious about really how accurate are the rapid tests with Omicron? Some people are hearing that maybe you should swab your tonsils. Rather than um, doing the nasal swab, those results might be a little bit more um, uh, accurate. So um, uh, it's great that we have access to all these take-home tests. I think, but uh, with Omicron, are we giving uh, kind of a false sense of security if we keep getting uh, a negative test that may not be as reliable with 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 Omicron? The uh,
5: the take-home tests are, even against the wild type, which is what they're designed for, is probably 75 to 80% effect uh, effective as far as predicting. And they think it's probably a little bit lower with Omicron. The one thing that the Delta variant and the Omicron variant have going for them is the numbers that grow quickly are pretty high. So typically you have a lot to sample from pretty quickly, like within... The original wild type, three days, we'd be like, oh, it's too early from exposure to even detect them. But now, even with the take-home test, it reproduces so quickly that three days is often plenty. The t- tough part is a negative doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. Um, it, it's, uh, it's somewhat reassuring. Uh, the, the one thing I do want to emphasize is that a positive is a positive, though. Because I have a lot of uh, people coming in saying, hey, I tested positive on a home test, and I just want to make sure it's right. And to me, if you tested positive, it is definitely positive, um, and there's no need to retest. Um, The the question is, if it's negative um, and you're having a lot of symptoms, should you get another test? Well, if you're having a lot of symptoms, you should probably stay home right now, no matter what the symptoms are. Um, if you're really curious, I don't think it's unreasonable to get a in-clinic test because it is far more accurate. Um, but uh, the point I want, want to emphasize is a positive is a positive. And so you're, we're, we're kind of figuring out where, where does quarantine start? And it's supposed to be, I guess the school currently has 10 days from your positive. To me, your, your positive is on the first positive, whether it's the at-home or the in-clinic one.
0: What's the protocol, though, for you when you come in contact with somebody who was positive? I mean, if you're in the room and somebody's positive, when do you test yourself? Uh, And what do you do with yourself before, (laughs) you know, before you get to that point? I mean, do you automatically assume you got it and that two days later you're going to show up positive? Or do you test five days down the road?
3: The CDC just updated their guidelines and and they have some more updates coming soon. But basically, if you're unvaccinated or haven't had your booster in the last two, you know, few weeks, especially six months out, you quarantine for five days and preferably test at five days. And then if it's negative, you can go back in the community wearing an N95 mask. N95 mask, I want to kind of piggyback on what Dr. Jones said. Are really the only masks that can reliably prevent the spread of airborne transmission like COVID. Any other mask is going to let particles through. And yes, it helps a little bit, let's say five, 10%, which is better than nothing, but N95s, I really want to encourage people to wear those. Um so if you but if you've been vaccinated and you're asymptomatic, you don't have to quarantine, but you do need to wear that N95 mask. And that's what we're doing in healthcare right now. Just because, if I mean, obviously we have so many exposures, we can't, we just won't have any clinics open in town if we don't have people that are vaccinated and then have that exposure and then wear that N95 mask. But for the general community, it really depends on your vaccination status. And the more cautious you can be, the better at this point. With within reason, I mean, it is becoming endemic at this point, and we have to still carry on with our lives. But at the same time, I think being as careful as possible. And if you are symptomatic, definitely stay away, you know, completely isolate for five days and then retest at five days if you still have symptoms at all or 10 days, um, you know, if you're symptomatic past that five-day period. Does Does that make sense? It's getting kind of nuanced and it's a little bit trickier to follow now.
5: And to make it even trickier, there's some symptoms that don't count like loss of smell, loss of taste, they don't count as symptoms. It's, mm-hmm. it's more the fevers, the heavy cough, the sore throat. Those are the mm-hmm. symptoms they're talking about. But the, the, the lack of taste and smell, as I'm sure Shanna can also confirm, I have patients who are months out who still don't have their taste back.
0: Are there different symptoms to identify the Omicron person than there were with Delta or the wild version?
3: Not really. Um, We're definitely seeing kind of just the mild cold symptoms that are the most common with Omicron. So any cold symptoms at all, stuffy nose, congestion, cough, sore throat, just feeling a little bit tired and off, all of those have been Omicron symptoms.
1: And it seems that there's some...
5: Just the fact that you get it right now and... Especially if you're vaccinated if your symptoms are pretty mild it leads us to believe it's it's omicron and um i i don't think we need to do genetic testing on all but to realize just by its characteristics that this is obviously omicron at this point but it's i agree i i've seen articles talking about well the new symptoms with the omicron variant i don't really know that a big difference
1: what's um particularly interesting about omicron is that there's some clinical trials suggesting that the omicron variant has a much higher rate of asymptomatic carriage uh you know it makes some you know a lot more contagious before they um test positive which might explain why it's spreading so so rapidly
3: yeah, that's true. Higher, higher viral burden and also a lot earlier in the course, like Dr. Jones said. So people often have an exposure and someone you know, might have tested when they became symptomatic. Within that two to three days that they're carrying that around asymptomatically, they are already spreading that to other people. So it's tricky. So
1: why is it important that um, if somebody does take an at-home test, uh, one of these rapid tests, why is it important that they report it? and to whom do they report it? This might be a question for Amy, maybe.
2: Well, reporting it through your primary care lets them know, um, A, that you have that so that they can be aware. There are some home monitoring things if you've got other health conditions um, that may need monitored. Slowly, what we're gonna see is we see those high numbers right now. Those are the reported cases that get in through the valid testing um, components, however, Dr. Zink has talked about as a state, we're going to start seeing a transition from being able to look at specific case counts more to overall trends because as people test positive at, positive at home and know they're positive, um, they may not be calling into the primary care. It may not be getting to the state public health. Those numbers become less accurate. Um, as long as the people are doing the mitigation strategies, that's okay. Um, And so we start looking at the trend lines more than specific numbers that we were looking at originally. Um, But especially if you have any comorbidities, we encourage you to reach out to whoever your primary care group is so that they can be aware that you tested positive at home and give you individual guidance. And I'll let the two PCP talks on the call um, talk a little bit more to that, but really just making sure that um, you've got the care you need and know what symptoms to be watching for if it's worsening.
1: Um, can we let's can we talk about vaccines um it seems like uh i'm trying to find the story pfizer might have a um a vaccine or a booster kind of updated for for omicron later on in in march but um there are also some concerns about overloading the immune system with boosters every three to four months um uh, uh, what are your thoughts on on that
5: Yeah, I saw, saw that article coming out that they, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't come out with it quicker because when they originally build these mRNA vaccines, they're like, hey, we can change it up in two weeks and have mm-hmm. whatever variant. So I thought when the Delta variant came out and we were talking about booster shots, I thought we'd be hitting it with a, a Delta variant booster. Um, it never did happen. And so, not surprising to me that they're adjusting it. To me, I don't think we should be getting boosters except on a regularly scheduled uh, basis. I think these are, it's just like the flu vaccine that you get your annual flu vaccine, and we're going to do our best job at guessing which flus are floating around there the much uh, right now. Um, Unless you're extremely vulnerable, I I would not be in favor of getting a, a. coronavirus vaccine every three months because we're going to have other variants come through unless a particularly deadly one comes through, which I don't believe is going to happen. Uh, But anything is possible. Uh, So I I mean, if if the Omicron variant uh, vaccine came out, I probably uh, would, I'd have to be very thoughtful about whether I'd take it or not because I've been boosted. And I I agree that eventually you got to say we're going to stick with the vaccine we have for a little while at least. But I I was a little disappointed that they didn't update the the booster shot at all.
1: Well, what about the possibility of a a variant-proof vaccine? There's a study out of, um, oh gosh, uh, Imperial College in London that's suggesting that the T-cells that are generated as part of the body's natural immune response to the common cold, that they can harness the, uh, uh, the mechanism involved in that to produce a variant-proof um, vaccine.
4: And uh, the U.S. Army is also working on something today. They
1: are, it? yes, yeah. So, so what, I, I, I what are T-cells, good. maybe? First, what are T-cells? And then <laughs> what, how, how does that work with uh, common cold yeah. and vaccines?
5: So we've kind of talked about in past shows how uh, we have antibodies where your body can remember. So we we used to check antibodies to see if, you know, had you had uh, COVID before, and we found those antibodies waned after about three months of the vaccine or the the, uh, disease of having the disease. But we found that the other way our body remembers uh, diseases is certain T cells have specialized into fighting the disease. And so if we find something that we do an awesome job at training T cells to fight this disease, um, uh, we can have longer lasting immunity. I don't know how you make it variant proof, though. I I haven't understood what what they mean by making it variant proof um, because I haven't seen anything like that in real life. Uh, as things change, our, you know. Our last last week we discussed how come our body doesn't recognize this. It's only a little different. Um, it's it's just the way our body acts. Uh, I, I think the the big thing for me is the T cell does seem to have a longer lasting immunity uh, than the antibody, but it, they both seem to be there even if we don't detect the antibodies right away, and so I I think it's a it's uh, the the great part about Omicron. Uh, if there's a silver lining to this cloud, um, people who get Omicron who are vaccinated are probably going to have a pretty darn good immunity, like a super immunity. We've chosen to target one tiny part of this virus as what we're going to make vaccines for. The part that grabs on the cells, the spike protein your body isn't necessarily going to choose that part of the the virus to figure out what they're going to fight when when they see this Omicron. And they're actually most likely going to figure out a different part of the virus um, in order to uh, figure out what defense they're going to use. And so my big thing is when you get this disease, you're almost super immune. Uh, If you've been vaccinated already and and vice versa, if you had the disease and then you get vaccinated later, you're almost going to be super immune because you have two different looks at the same virus. And the early studies showed that you'll probably be immune to almost all uh, variants if you've had the disease and been vaccinated.
0: But you're already um, reporting that you have clients now who have um, patients who've had three doses of it, and I think many of us also know people who've gotten it multiple times already. So I, I guess that goes into one of the listener questions that I think is kind of a the, the big question in the room is, since it doesn't appear it's going away and it's going to infect everybody, why not, if you're fully boosted right now, why not just get it now and get the super immunity and, and get it over with? You know why, why do we have to go through the masking protocols and uh, why don't we just sort of uh, go for herd immunity mm-hmm. now while everybody's boosted
1: let's have a community wide chicken pox party yeah, it's It's Kumbaya
4: <laughs> and we're all in a circle, but none of us are wearing masks and we're indoors. <laughs> well, what are the
0: reporters? Let the
4: doctors <laughs> answer
3: <laughs> I can speak to that a little bit um I think one. If we, if everybody was vaccinated in the community and had that kind of guarantee that it wasn't going to be bad, I would say, don't worry about masking. Let's just solve, get our, basically every time our immune system sees a coronavirus variant or a vaccine, it learns how to defend the body a little bit better each time. So the third booster is a third drill to help our body learn how to be better against the COVID virus. And then if you've gotten it, you're even that much better. And who knows what immune, what your immune system, what factors it has made against that virus the first time around. So if that was the case and we knew that we would not have very sick people and our hospital system wouldn't be overwhelmed, I would say, let's, let's go for that. The problem is, is that we still have a significant population of our community that's unvaccinated. We do have people who have decreased immunity, you know, their immune system is compromised for some reason, whether that's medications or diseases. they they, the only, the couple of patients I've seen that have gotten it twice have some kind of immune compromise in their system. And then the third is just, we don't completely, I mean, if we have a high, high, high number of people that are infected all at once, there is going to be a percentage, hopefully lower than Delta, hopefully lower than, you know, the other um, variants that we've seen. But with a higher number, a lower percentage still means a lot of people are sick and going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So just while we are still in this uncertain period, we were hoping that the variant is milder. A lot of the data shows that so far. A lot of that data is coming from countries where they've already had a high number of people with some kind of immunity, either vaccinations or prior infections like South Africa. And we're not necessarily in that, we we don't have necessarily that same demographic here. So we still have to wait and see how this is going to play out as far as severity of illness. So far, it's looking good, but we're not guaranteed that yet. Mm. And so until we know better, I would say it's better to err on the side of caution just to protect our healthcare workers, to mitigate the morbidity and mortality in our community. And
2: I would add on to that that you as an individual... I think it's important to understand, may have a lower chance of hospitalization with Omicron versus some of the previous ones, but because of the sheer number of patients who have that right now, or community members who are sick with that, we anticipate the same, or potentially even slightly higher hospitalizations overall, because, and these are not the right numbers, but it makes it so it's easier to understand, if one in 10 people with Delta ended up in the hospital and one in 25 people with Omicron end up in the hospital, you're going with just the volume increase we've seen in number of active cases, we're gonna end up with that um, downstream likely in the hospitals. Hopefully, um, the vaccines don't do that. But you look at the British models where they don't have quite as high of vaccination rates. And that is holding true to what they're seeing. And their spike, which um, I had mentioned that earlier this week on something, their spike didn't come down as fast as some of the places where they had higher vaccination. So it kind of plateaued up high for quite a while before they are maybe starting to see a downturn now. Um, And we anticipate American models will mirror that or be similar to that where it's a little bit prolonged at those high levels. Um, And the hard part is you heard us at the beginning, we already have staff out, we're trying to make sure we can provide the best care possible, but the entire state is facing the same surge at the same time. And so it is straining the healthcare capacities.
0: And we, we make an assumption with this that it's a fairly mild, flu-like, cold-like thing. But are, is, is that the norm in your clinics? What, what kind of patients are you seeing? Are you seeing people with more significant problems than just a regular cold?
2: I can tell you the ones who get really sick and are in the hospital, we have people stay in the hospital for more than a month post-COVID recovery. Um, and that we don't see with flu, we don't see with other um, diseases. They mentioned earlier, there are people who are three or four months out and still haven't recovered taste and smell. Brain fog continues to be a thing we hear. And um, one of my other hats, I work in the therapy, um, PTOT and speech. We work with lots of patients who are still having word finding, memory finding, related hmm. issues, following a COVID infection who were pretty mild and never ended up hospitalized. So I think there's a lot of post COVID um, long hauler syndrome type things that are out there that don't get discussed enough that it's not just a mild cold for patients, even if they don't end up in the hospital.
1: Yeah. Dylan and I were talking about, there's an article in the Atlantic and then one in the new Republic kind of challenging this idea of Omicron as being mild yeah, Dylan.
4: It's it's um, well, essentially the argument that they were making is, you know, like, on a case-to-case basis, the symptoms that are being described for Omicron really are not that serious. However, when you magnify that out to, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people having a, you know, quote-unquote mild disease with certain people having, you know, no effects whatsoever to others being incredibly ill, it's actually, as as far as being burdensome on, on the healthcare infrastructure of this country and the world, probably just about the worst case scenario the only thing that could be worse if is if it were just more dangerous and it's i mean it's it's totally overwhelming i mean we're to my understanding i'm not a medical professional but what i'm reading around the country is that this is as bad for any given clinic or hospital as it's ever been at any point for COVID 19 is that correct
5: the one, the one thing i would answer about it is um we're a little better prepared for it um the treatments are getting better. Um, we're used to protecting our medical staff. Unfortunately, when they're outside the hospital, it makes it more difficult. Um, the The numbers in the hospital have not caught up with the numbers in the clinic yet, but I suspect they will starting this week. Um, I think we're going to start getting higher and higher numbers. I, I had one uh, one infection in the hospital last week when i was on call and it was incidental she didn't even know she had it Um, but we're screening people as they come through and part of the burden of this is we don't want to spread this to other patients so when you see a covid positive patient it slows us down tremendously it takes a lot more staff a lot more effort it's harder to treat that patient because you have to gown and glove and and a mask and wear a shield every time you go in and out of that room um, because we don't want to spread it to other patients at the hospital who who will not be able to take it. Um, and so it, when we look at it on a, like Amy was saying, the sheer number of them are probably going to start catching up with us pretty soon. And we're going to be back to where we were a few months ago where I had nowhere to send patients. There's, there's no hospital who could take my transfer and it does affect outcomes. There's an article recently about a, a person who's end stage uh, renal failure who needed dialysis, but none, no hospital who does dialysis could accept them. They just simply didn't have a bed and they died. Um, and we're, we're reaching that we're going to reach that point pretty soon. So, uh, My big thing, I'm kind of a little sympathetic to the the whole, let's get everybody immune to this right now and get it over with. I I have a little sympathy for that, Um, but the flatten the curve finally is at a point where it is necessary um, because we've got this huge rising curve that we haven't quite seen the plateau of yet. And uh, it hasn't caught up. Usually there's a, a two week lag um, hasn't caught up the hospitalizations yet, so I expect it to blow up pretty soon here. And so, we need to do everything we can to keep it from getting worse.
0: So, Amy, from the hospital's perspective, I mean, when are you planning the surge to arrive?
2: So, we're, we have a one COVID recovered and one COVID positive up on the floor today. Um, So COVID recovered is somebody who's there, still had COVID. They're no longer considered infectious, but they're still in the hospital um, for us. So we do have that going on. Our ED numbers have been increasing, um, kind of, we were seeing maybe one, zero to one a day, and now we're seeing three to five a day um, coming in with COVID uh, symptoms and with actual positive COVID coming through. So those are kind of our warning signs that um, it's coming, we anticipate by the end of this week, early of next week, we'll start to see increasing hospitalizations. Um, Anchorage is already starting to see increasing hospitalizations, which is one of the important things we monitor um, when we make decisions locally, because they take them from throughout the entire state. Um, And so not just if Anchorage's numbers are surging, but if it's surging in Nome, they're gonna send people probably down to Anchorage for care. And so we're monitoring that availability so far, we haven't had any significant delays to be, to the ability to transfer, um, but they've got the transfer center calls set up. We're on a daily call with the hospitals statewide to figure those pieces out. Um, staffing continues to be statewide. One of the bigger issues around making sure we have staffed beds, not just actual physical beds, but the ability to staff and take care of a patient in that room. Um,
4: I want to ask this question before it goes stale. We have been talking about how there's, like, you know, if you get Omicron, you're you're pretty much going to be all right as far as Omicron goes um, after you get it. Um, is herd immunity back on the table with this degree of spread? Could we, like, achieve the herd immunity that we were told was no longer possible, um, you know, a few years ago?
5: I think that's a fascinating question because I've been thinking about it lately. Mm-hmm. And with the way this is spreading, you could hope for it, but I'm afraid that with each iteration, we're getting more and more transmissible. And when you get something that's more transmissible, the number needed for herd immunity changes. So uh, it's not the medical community changing the finish line, it is the virus changing the finish line. And so it gets more and more difficult to figure out what that number is gonna be when now we're, I thought with Delta variant, this is as good as it gets, man. This is one of the most transmissible diseases in the history of, <laughs> of mankind. And here we come out with Omicron, which is, I, I the studies I've read, I'm not sure it is actually any more transmissible than Delta variant. It just evades our immune system way better, and it reproduces a lot faster, a lot earlier on, uh, to the point where you might be shedding shedding viral particles that are viable two days after being infected and so that's where it's more effective is how quick it takes over and and, uh, evades the immune system and so i can't tell you anymore where we would have to be for to reach a point where we we have herd immunity i hope this does it and that's what i think the silver lining is uh to omicron is that you're going to be have some immunity to COVID one way or another because Omicron came through.
0: But then there's the Delta crown, you know, and now you're having multiple. You have people with three different versions of COVID, you know. So what's what's to say what is herd immunity if we're immune to the first three, but we're not immune to what's coming in the future?
3: I think that's an excellent question, and also as we have seen, immunity is not black or white. It's on a spectrum of, you know, Mm -hmm. white to different shades of gray to black as far as how immune are you, how good is your immune system going to be at responding to whatever comes next, and how much does that wane in time? And so I agree, herd immunity is a really, more people are going to have some form of immunity after seeing Omicron, and, and especially if they're vaccinated, the more vaccination, like if they've gotten their three boosters the more immunity they're going to have. But again, it's not 100%. It's probably not going to be 100%. And we see that with flu every year, too. We have all, you know, most of us have had flu at some point point, or and or have had the vaccine, but that doesn't mean we're completely immune the next time the next variant comes around. So I think that's what we're looking at with COVID. It would be great if we could get herd immunity and it would go away
0: Yeah, well I more think we talk more
5: I think we talked more about herd immunity when it was just a wild type variant out there. I mean, it was just a wild type out there. I think it was achievable at one point if we'd been able to develop the vaccine a little bit earlier and it had more more importantly worldwide acceptance mm-hmm. yes um, probably just as important and we we discussed this on the show very early on just as important uh, as vaccine vaccinating the u s was vaccinating the entire world mm-hmm. and we have chosen not to do that we've chosen to go for multiple pokes in in first world countries while giving some leftovers to third world countries and telling them to hang in there we'll make more later um and so the, the distribution has been unfair which is is gonna hurt first world countries in the end because mm-hmm. we didn't stick to that principle of let's vaccinate the whole world mm-hmm.
0: I, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I don't want to. I don't, don't want to leave without this. First, um, do we have enough testing available on the island mm-hmm. now? Do we have enough vaccines available for people who are? And are, are we seeing people still coming in to get vaccinations? And then um, you talked about new treatment protocols. Do we have enough drugs and anti more bi- anti- anti- monoclonal anti- anti- monoclonal antibodies? available to treat people, uh, um, and what, is, what does a person do if they've got a mild version of the Omicron? What kind of treatment do you do at home? Well, we got plenty of vaccinations, so come in and get
5: vaccinated. <laughs> um, uh, what we are running low on is some of the testing. I mean, we reached the, hosp- uh, the last week at the hospital, we reached the point where we were down to 10 tests period i um and never thought i'd see that but we've been the the er especially has been testing so many people um i would highly recommend if you can get tested elsewhere to get tested somewhere besides the hospital um as far as canon numbers go i don't know for sure how many tests we have i haven't heard any complaints that we don't have enough tests at this point uh but we've been testing way 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 more than we had in the past we we reached the point where we were testing less than a hundred people a day uh, for a little while. And we're well over 300 now. Um, So cranking through the test kits pretty quickly. The good part is the home tests may not be as effective, but they are a good indicator that one of my friends who had a kid who, who got it, she was like, it was like, bam, positive the second that she put the, uh, the nasal swab in there. Um, And so there, there is a little bit wider testing and that testing is going to get more accurate as we get better at making them. And so as far as uh, monoclonal antibody, the tough part on this one is it's not very effective. Um, to the point where the company has said, I don't know that you should use this for Omicron. Okay. Um, I do use it in the sickest patients, the patients who are at the greatest danger, of getting serious disease, but I don't recommend it for everyone anymore. Um, the new Pfizer drug that's coming out, that's it's a combination of two different antiviral drugs. It's pretty effective. And um, what is the, what, what's the name of that Pfizer drug again? I can't even remember.
3: Um, Paxlovid.
5: Paxlovid. It's funny when they make the brand name just as confusing as it's, I know it has ritonavir <laughs> and some other ingredient in there. Uh, But when they make the brand name, just as confusing as its ingredients, it's tough. Um, uh, That one is a good one because it is uh, effective so far against pretty much all the variants. But I I haven't seen much of it. I don't even know if the local pharmacies have it yet. Um, I don't i'm pretty sure we don't have it at canna yet they they might not tell me because i probably offer it up too much when when i have the antivirals they don't tell, they tell me last um, <laughs> but uh it should be coming in mass quantities pretty soon and it's a it's a pretty effective drug it cuts it down cuts down the chance of death and hospitalization i think it's like 88 percent, which mm-hmm. is pretty amazing
4: um I wanted to ask a question about the testing what I've heard is that you know we're we're we have a really, really high like test positivity rate. I'm wondering if you guys are know what the specific number is for test positivity rate, whether or not you expect that to fluctuate and whether or not um the current amount of tests that is being conducted here on island is like a steady number Is it going to increase is it going to decrease like are tests going to get shorter and staff shorter? Um, what are you guys expecting as far as those numbers go?
3: I can say from KACC, we're about thirty to fifty percent positive test positivity rate right now. So if we do one hundred and fifty tests in a day, fifty we've been having fifty plus positive out of those. Um, I just I agree with what Doctor Jones said there, but however, there is a nationwide shortage of tests, home tests, and. Treatments at this point, and we're seeing a decreasing number of availability of treatments. So, um, what I want to make sure I tell the public is: yes, try to get your testing elsewhere. But if you're if you are symptomatic, quarantine and test that five days. Don't test every day. Don't use up. Don't use or use as minimal tests, I guess, as you can that you need to be able to go back to work or school or you know whatever the function is. Because testing, just out of curiosity, is going to eventually mean that we run out of tests. And we are doing hundreds more a day than we were before. And that supply just isn't going to last. I've tried to order my, um, for my family, I've tried to order home testing kits. And they are nationwide shortage. When I was, I did travel to Minnesota kind of um, early on before the surge. And now the testing everywhere nationwide is, increasing to the point where it's very it's getting short everywhere mm-hmm. so proceed with caution basically and then yeah the the testing positivity rate i think we're going to continue to see it as high as it is or increase until we have you know the majority of people have either gotten it or gotten vaccinated and we're getting through this surge um the availability is going to, need to depend on staffing and we are short staffed right now and so and that is going to make it hard. I think we're kind of in a way gonna go back into those early days where we just didn't have the num the numbers of everything that we needed and we all need to just kind of take care of each other, do what's right for us and our community, mask up, do the kind of mitigation strategies that we do have available and um see how far we can get through this and hopefully it won't be long but it, i mean it is what it is at this point and we're all doing the best we can
4: even amy are you both seeing that kind of test positivity rate at your yeah,
5: i was, I was going to say about a third positivity um uh, when I, I was on we were doing about a little over 300 tests a day if i just just shooting from the hip out of memory and we we're getting uh numbers that didn't really correspond with the eoc's numbers we we're getting like at times close to a 80 uh, to 100 a day of positives. And so what you see in the EOC probably gets reported over a few days' time. If you, if you look at it, they'll say, oh, this was positive on this day. So I'm like, dude, I know I, others. at least 88 that I saw. Um, but sometimes it takes a little while for those numbers to filter down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, about, a, a, I would say 30% is what I was seeing positivity rate.
0: So has treat, treatment progressed in any way?
3: Yeah, there was just a state echo about that. There's four outpatient treatments available right now, or approved right now. Um, like Dr. Jones said, the two monoclonal antibodies that we have the best access to, and we've been giving it at KICC, are unfortunately not very effective against Omicron. We're still using them because act- the numbers of Delta were higher than were thought at one point um, compared to Omicron. But the truth is, is that there's no guarantee that those antibodies will work. There is another monoclonal antibody, Sotrovimab, that is the most effective against Omicron in studies. However, it is the least available. And I don't know if anybody in Kodiak has that right now. And then there's two antiviral um, oral and infusion treatments that I i know our clinic doesn't have i was called the pharmacy and see if they have the oral antiviral the um, the pfizer and merck have both come out with oral antiviral options but as far as i know so far i haven't seen that we have those in stock and as more people get sick and we're using these treatments for people that have high risk for progression of severe disease they are in nationwide shortage so
1: Speaking of um, nationwide shortages, the um, the American Red Cross has declared a um, a blood a national blood crisis. Um, people not donating blood because they fear, you know, because because of COVID, you know, and staffing is is obviously affecting that. What is the uh, blood situation here in Kodiak? That might be a question for Amy. Um...
2: I was going to say, within the hospital, we so far have been able to maintain our blood supply that we usually have. Um, here, I know that the state of Alaska was having a little um, delay in getting it, but they had done a couple drives and I thought that had recovered it. I have not looked specifically at that. I don't know, Dr. Jones, if you were on last week, if you heard anything different. Um, but I know we locally right now, we have our normal level.
5: Which isn't much. No, <laughs> no, it is not. Don't if you live in Kodiak, don't bleed a lot. We don't have a whole lot to give. Well, we, we've
1: used, we've been able to we've been doing like blood drives at you know I remember doing blood drives at Crab Fest for for several years, but we haven't been able to do that the past couple of years.
5: Yeah, I think that's the big part of it. Is just that the normal ways that they get big amounts of blood, they haven't been able to do. Um, It can be stored for quite a while. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we, we, we used to be able to get blood donations here in Kodiak, but uh, they've made the requirements so rigorous to get blood donations here that it's almost impossible for small communities to do anymore. If you notice, when they do blood drives like at Crab Pass, they actually bring in a van that is set up just for blood drives. and it is, But it used to be that people could go to the hospital And when we were getting low, we had a list of people of different blood types that we would call up and say, hey, we really need some O positive. Could you come down? Uh, Legally, we can't do that anymore, um, which is super unfortunate. Uh, This is the downside to tightening regulations. So nobody is ever hurt ever by any possible means is that then you can't do anything. Um, So there is a good side and a bad side to regulations. And this is the bad side.
3: And do you know, Dr. Osterholm was saying on his podcast, if you've been vaccinated and you can give blood, please do, because there is that nationwide shortage at this point.
0: Is there, is there any truth to the fact that if you've already had the virus in some capacity that you're in a better position to be able to fight off a new version?
5: Especially if you've been vaccinated. I mean, there's an article out that talks about super immunity for people. This article was was a study that was done over, uh, it was about a six month study, people who got the probably the wild type virus. And then when the va- vaccine finally came out, they got vaccinated and they had kind of a super immunity to it because like I said, their body probably picked some part of the wild virus that isn't in the immunization. And then the immunization focused on the spike protein. And so- there you know even if we get this wave of omicron everybody gets it and then the delta variant comes through town it doesn't mean we're not going to have immunity to it um and most likely uh, if i were a betting man i would say most likely you are immune to delta variant once you've had omicron um and so it just because there's a little variance the only thing that there are Three mutations that we know of that are not on the spike protein, and 27 that are on the spike protein that are different uh, from uh, the the uh, that are different on the spike protein itself. So you can understand if we focused on the spike protein, there's three mutations on the Delta variant, 27 on the Omicron. You can understand why the vaccine doesn't work that well anymore when there's been so many mutations in the Omicron. So basically, the thinking is your body picked one part of the virus and then the vaccine picked a different part of the virus. Both of those parts have to have mutated in order to not have immunity to it. And so it's still well worth getting vaccinated.
0: What about the there seems to be a movement in Europe uh, and Israel uh, about boosting people who are immunocompromised the fourth time. Uh you know there's probably a lot of us that feel like getting as many boosters as possible is the best thing for you rather than contracting the virus um,
3: yeah, there is research on that in Israel it has you know for the people who are immune compromised are at high really high risk um getting that booster has shown to improve their immunity to covid nineteen especially omicron, however. There is the study that I think one of you guys um, kind of referenced earlier. I think it was the WHO is, is warning against getting too many vaccine or, yeah, too many vaccine boosters. I wasn't able to look into the whole science behind why. Part of it is just the shortage and the global shortage. And if you're getting your fourth vaccine and someone in another country hasn't even had their first or second yet, that's just kind of an inequity that doesn't necessarily benefit the world as much as everybody getting vaccinated the first time around but also there was some concerns as it might start to impede the immunity and I honestly I don't know if any of you guys know better the science behind that I wanted to look into that more and just didn't yet but um there's there might be more information coming out about that
0: well I know back in the old days you know um Whenever this started, uh, <laughs> you folks at the Collar Clinic had uh, were the, I think the only ones that were doing antibody testing, and uh, it just seems to have dropped off the radar. But it, it doesn't it seem to be a good way to know whether or not your immune system is still up there as to whether or not you could go in and get an antibody test.
3: Dr. Jones talked about this when um, antibodies don't always show up, and sometimes your immunity is in your T cells or B cells, depending on which vaccine you've gotten, and that is not on an antibody test. It is interesting. We are still doing antibody tests from time to time, and people who have who had a confirmed COVID infection do show up antibody positive. People who think they might have had it have been antibody negative, and then we haven't really done vaccination. You know, check on antibodies after vaccination in our clinic at all because. Clinically, that's useless information other than curiosity. Um, But So I don't have the data on that. I don't know if Dr. Jones or Amy have more information. But really what we're really focusing on is clinical utility. And so far, there just hasn't been a great clinical need to have that antibody information, except when people are just curious and want to make sure that they have some kind of antibodies on the test. Or, or to confirm a prior
1: infection. Um, can we can we talk about the, um, the 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 COVID myth of the week? And uh, the the COVID myth of the week. Can, mean, we so a, his, of, can we get that theme music for this? Yes, we, we should. Come we on. should have a little. Um, <laughs> and that is uh, urine therapy. Um. Uh, I wonder if you can... Uh...
4: Listeners cannot see the doctors flinching. Yes. It is...
1: Uh... Unfortunately, but um, what is going on? I <laughs> guess is my question.
5: This this is nothing new. People apparently have been desiring to drink their own urine for a long time.
4: Desiring? Because
5: I've heard this with multiple diseases and how healthy it is to drink your own urine. Um, I... I uh, <laughs> I would rather take my chances with experimental (laughs) drugs than drink my own urine here personally. (laughs) And even the emergency use ones that people are so scared of, I'll stick with those over drinking a good cup of urine. (laughs) Um, It is interesting because there was a reply by a urologist who was just like, listen, I've been in this business for 40 years. Please don't drink your own urine. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that we have to put that out there is amazing. Um, It is interesting, though, because this pops up occasionally where people talk about drinking urine as having health benefits. Um, I don't think it's ever been seen. The only time, I actually have read about this long ago, not in relation to COVID, (laughs) um, the only time it's been shown to be beneficial, this might be helpful for Alaskans, is if you are stuck where there is no water, (laughs) the first time you urinate, you should probably drink that again to maintain moisture. After that, it's more detrimental than helpful. So (laughs) if anyone gets lost in the desert where there's no water and they're about to (laughs) urinate, they need to think carefully about when they're going to get water again, because that's the only case in medicine that I can think of where it's beneficial to drink your own urine is that first time you pee.
3: (laughs) Your urine is filtered blood. So all your toxic products that your body says, all right, don't need these anymore, and they're going to become toxic metabolites, that's what's filtered through our kidneys. It is sterile. So because our environment inside of us is sterile, but it's still junk that has been filtered out. And so the other case I have seen where urine is beneficial is if you are in a tropical country and you have no access to sterile supplies, you can pee on urinate on your wound and try to clean it out. But other and it's not sterile once it touches your outside skin, so maybe less sterile. But other than that, it is basically your body's rejected toxic metabolites it is less concentrated when you have are more hydrated and it content basically your body retains more and more fluid as you become more and more dehydrated so that's why your first pee is less you know it's more water than toxic metabolites but after that it's just toxic metabolites <laughs> i agree i don't this it's not scientific it's I don't understand I,
4: it either. I'm still baffled by the fact that people are finding more and more creative ways to like cure COVID, as opposed to saying, "Well, I don't want the vaccine, so I'm going to eat more vegetables and work out more because that will improve my my chances." Instead, it's just like drinking urine and taking drugs that may or may not have any relation to COVID nineteen. <laughs>
5: it's it's funny that I've had patients very earnestly say. Well, I mean, if you wear a mask, you're breathing in the air, you just breathed out, which is waste products that can't be healthy. And I think these same people are talking up that, well, maybe I will drink my urine, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amy, you want to chime in on this topic?
5: But one more point on your end. We can't forget everything. It does not help to pee on a a jellyfish thing either. So that's even one thing that it's still not good for, no matter what the TV shows. You can pee on your friend as a joke, but probably is not going to help.
0: Uh, We have another question about whether or not it's time to implement a mask mandate again.
3: A lot of countries are going back to that just because it's the best way to mitigate the spread. Um, I am in favor of people just wearing masks. <laughs> as far as a mandate goes, I think probably that's how we would get the most people wearing masks. But um, I know there's so many community variables that go into that. I would be curious to hear other people's input. My vote would be yes.
2: I would say, based on the numbers that we're seeing based on how transmissible that this variant is that's here, that doing all of our protective stuff, masking, washing your hands, limiting your social bubbles, kind of bringing yourself back in doing all of those pieces again, even though we've been doing it for two years and we're all getting burnt out with it, is important and so hopefully people can take that self responsibility to help take care of their community. This community is amazing at stepping up when we need to help each other. And this is one of those times um, that we don't have to wait for somebody to decide that it's okay to do a mandate to say, I see that the numbers are increasing. I recognize that the person next to me in line may not have a okay immune system, and I'm going to do what I can to help them as well. Um, that would be my hope. Um, I've seen that so many times on other things for this, that we can do it whether or not a mandate comes
0: back into place let me give you a tough question based on something you said earlier though if you're losing so much staff are you assuming that the staff are contracting it outside of work when they're not protecting themselves or are they getting it regardless of all the protections you put up in your clinics in the hospital
2: so so far um the majority of the cases that we've had of staff being out Um, are related to like their spouse contracted it. So it's a close contact, known positive, or they went to dinner or out for New Year's with this group of people, and now that whole group of people have it. So it's their most probable exposure, especially from the hospital standpoint where we haven't had a lot of COVID positive patients in the hospital at this point. So our burden of that virus within our walls has been pretty low. most of that is coming from community spread type locations. Um, so we're seeing it from that outside of work, larger social bubbles than we had two, a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I was at a group with 20 plus people and now all of us are positive um, type of situations. So seems like that's where more of it is coming from um, than within the work setting, but we also haven't had as high level of volume in in the hospital itself.
3: I think if it is at work, it's in those more social settings, like in the lunchroom when you have to take your mask off to eat or drink. And so it is really hard to maintain that level of PPE, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And it's hard to say for sure where it's coming from because there's just, it's so rampant in our community everywhere right now. Um, But the PPE is still extremely protective in the n95s and really making sure you have that tight seal like we talked about before really does make a big difference and yeah that's what we have and vaccines that's what we have right now to prevent it
5: yeah I think most of it is coming from outside the clinic though I think we're pretty careful in the clinics um, the tough part is what you you talked about earlier is that you may not have symptoms and so we may have clinic people coming in who are actually, spreading the virus who we don't even realize. And so um, we're probably reaching the point now where if you do have chronic health issues that could be dealt with just by talking to a physician, it's probably a good time to go back to video visits again um, at least for a little while. And this the, the, the one reassuring thing is this isn't, is not going to last long. Uh, my early prediction was end of January and that, that where it'll be winding down quite a bit. And I still think that's a pretty reasonable goal is that it's going to be heading downward about the end of January. So it's not an eternity this time. It's going to get you or not get you. And I do think there is our people who have been vaccinated. There's a fair number of people who've gotten boosted recently enough where they're probably not going to get it. Um, And so it's I think this will go through town pretty quickly looking at the numbers we have right now. Because I, I think for every one positive that's reported, there's probably two that are not reported. <laughs> because how many people are like, "Yeah, my kid tested positive, and the rest of our six, so we know we have it too." I've heard that over and over and over. So there's tons of numbers that are positive, but just haven't been artificial official numbers.
4: Um. So I know that uh, the the boosters evidently have like a height at which the the you know you're at like the highest um level of of immunity conveyed through the boosters is it actually the case that e- even in spite of the fact that so many uh infections have been uh th- going th- going through uh you know vaccinated persons do you think that uh having had the booster more recently versus like you know two months ago might convey an advantage
5: yeah without a doubt i am probably 10 weeks of very good resistance to all the variants known with a booster shot. Unfortunately, that's not very long. I mean, 10 weeks goes by pretty quick. We're, we're talking less than three months and it starts waning. Um, it's still going to, even if you do get it after that 10 weeks, it's still going to make your disease far less severe. And so that's the one thing we're kind of hanging our hat on is the, the 13 hospitalized of unvaccinated for every one,
0: vaccinated so from a personal point of view though if you were to go out into the community um, do you go do those group things anymore I mean are you more careful when you go shopping or do you go to the you know to a big event with 100 people is bowling league canceled
3: Brief- I personally don't. I wear an N95 when I go out. I have avoided social gatherings. Also, just knowing that, you know, I've been in fairly close contact with people at clinics. So I consider I've been vaccinated. I've already had it. I have been testing negative every time I've had a close a close contact and just weekly. At the same time, could I have some small amount of viral burden that I breathe out without feeling anything, potentially. I don't know. So I'm erring on the side of caution. That's kind of- yeah,
5: that, That's been my big reason for wearing a mask is not trying to protect myself. Is If you see me in the store, I'm going to have a mask on. It's, it's because I'm worried. I'm a kind of a high-risk person. Um, I am constantly around people with COVID. Um, I have patients in the hospital who've had COVID, and I have had patients in clinic who have had COVID. And so I consider myself the problem, and that's why I wear the mask. Um, and so if you think about others uh, more than yourself, you tend to wear a mask more uh, because I'm trying to protect those around me. So I, 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 that's why I think it's part of being a grown-up is wearing a mask when you're in the store. Um, because, you know, if, if a person isn't in a crosswalk and they're crossing the street and you're driving down the road, do you run them over or do you say maybe i better slow down and inconvenience myself because even though we got this guy's jaywalking you should probably not get run over and that's the way i view it is if you wear a mask you're looking out for the others around you whether they're doing the right thing or not and um. i've
2: limited my social stuff i know the hospital's gone back to virtual meetings we've canceled the leadership training that was coming next week um you know,
0: just trying to keep ourselves into smaller bubbles again. I got one final question to end on here, unless uh, one of the other folks has something that they want to follow up with. Um, Biggest question this person has is, do you know anything about the prevalence of long COVID in vaccinated people?
5: Yeah, so unfortunately, I did read an article about this, and there does seem to be a fair amount of long COVID even in people who are vaccinated. They may have less severe disease, but there is apparently still a fair amount of long COVID even in vaccinated people. I've been trying to get more, it just hasn't been around long enough, trying to figure out, does Omicron have the same long COVID effects as the previous ones have had? My guess would be it probably does, and it's good to avoid the disease if possible. Um, but I don't have an answer to that. It's too soon with the Omicron. But as far as like a vaccinated person who got the wild type or the Delta variant, um, there is still a a fair amount of long COVID associated with that.
0: I mean, what percentage of your patients who have had it in a more severe than a run of the mill version of COVID, what percentage of them are having reoccurring problems already, you know? six, eight months down the road.
5: So I can't say six or eight months, but two months was the cutoff for the study I read. And about 25%, 25 to 33% of people who had been infected ended up with a long COVID symptom. Some of it might be kind of minor, uh, but it is actually a big deal, a loss of smell, loss of taste. Um, That's what I, at six months out, that's what I see, the vast majority of long COVID is the loss of sense of smell and taste. And frankly, I just had a patient who was in at six months. Who's like, I suddenly have the smell of burning sugar Hmm. uh, constantly. It smells like something's burning. It's something sweet is burning. And he's like, I haven't had any smell before this. And that's kind of the neurons healing because this has destroyed a lot of the neurons in the, in the sentence in the smell uh, region. And, uh, in the olfactory region. So now they're starting to heal up and he's starting to finally smell something, but it's wrong. And I've had patients who have, when they eat, it tastes like they're eating rotten garbage, uh, because the, uh, the, the smells and the tastes have gotten mixed up as they've healed. And it, it makes it pretty tough. And there is actually, believe it or not, like a physical therapy for your nose to retrain it. um, and so it's uh, this is one of the time all the people with essential oils can be like, see, I told you they're important. Um, but we use a lot of essential oils to retrain the brain on how to smell things using uh, kind of it's a smell therapy where you're using very familiar smells. I, I Amy might know better than I do, but I, it's usually things like. Uh, they'll start with pungent things that are very familiar to the patient, like mint or something like that, and retrain the brain to actually program it so they're smelling correctly. And it actually has a really high success rate. So I do want to tell people out there that if you um, are having trouble with this, which a lot of people are, where your scents are messed up and you're smelling garbage, your, your food tastes like garbage or poop. Which I've heard a lot of. Mm, uh, oh you goodness. can you can retrain that, and it, it has an extremely high success rate. Far better than I would have thought. Over three months, there's like a ninety percent cure rate on this. Mm. And so, make sure you get hooked up with a, a professional so that they can kind of guide you in retraining your brain to smell and taste correctly.
0: This might be now an effect.
2: A whole bunch, Go ahead. As a therapist, there's a whole bunch of education coming out about how do you retrain. In these things, because
4: we're getting more and more referrals around long-hauler symptoms. Mm. Right. Um, I wanted to ask a final question of my own. Um, this is something that uh, <laughs> is not really something I ever ask doctors, because so much of medicine is about like preventative care. Like, oh, no, nobody plans to get a disease. But you know, if, if this is sort of an eventuality, like we're, we're going to get sick with COVID. What are just some things that, you know, regardless of treatments that you get in clinic or even the vaccine itself, although you definitely should get it, what are ways that we can prepare the body for infection? Is there something we can do now to improve outcomes later?
5: This is where obesity has been an early on thing, and I'm carrying around quite a few extra pounds, uh, and this disease actually infects all of your fat cells. The more fat cells you have, the more widespread this disease is going to be, the harder it's going to be on you, the harder it's going to be for your body to completely clear you for it. It's time to lose those extra pounds. The better cardiovascular shape you're in, the better you're going to be able to handle this disease. And I'm still a champion of vitamin D, taking 5,000 international units a day um and so the, and eat, just eating healthy in general typically i tell patients you know when they ask do i need a multivitamin i actually don't recommend them my big thing is getting your nutrition through your food um, even though I'm terrible at it, I, I really <laughs> wish I liked vegetables more. I'm trying, um, if but you,
0: if you do the nose therapy
5: and you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to retrain my brain to love vegetables. i <laughs> to nice. my physical therapist for that one. Um, but those are some things that everyone can start working on preparing. Even though it's icy out, find a way to exercise every day.
3: Yeah, in addition to that, I think the things that boost your immune system, so definitely five to 10 servings of fresh fruits and vegetables a day is 100% the best way to get it, um, getting that exercise for your cardiovascular health. Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, We all, we all there's a lot of good information that's helped increase your, um, boost your immune system. And also quercetin is another, there's been some really interesting studies that I've read lately about quercetin, which is, you can buy it over the counter at Safeway and Walmart. Um, and that is shown to boost your immune system and how it has antiviral effects. There's a lot of information that, you know, this thing might have antiviral effects. This thing might have antiviral effects. Uh, Most of those are in very preliminary studies and we don't know the dosing. We don't know if it's truly whatever they're seeing in that lab, kind of isolated way of looking at it, if that's actually going to translate into real life. I saw CBD oil, which actually CBD oil has really, really well studied scientific information that it is, um, anti-inflammatory for your system. There's very few downsides. It's not a controlled substance like THC. And I think Mike had sent out an interesting article looking very preliminarily in the lab setting. We don't know if it's going to translate to COVID for sure or not, but it does seem to have some effect at um, disabling the COVID, the SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. Um, so I'm the CBD oil is its own thing with its own dosing and it's not necessarily mainstream medicine yet but from what I read in the research there is a lot of benefit from it but though the main things you know the things that we do know the zinc vitamin D vitamin C fresh produce which is where you get a lot of your vitamins like Dr. Jones said is um for sure what I would say to do those
1: uh, My my final question is I think a softball and uh, a softball question our other reporter, um, Kirsten Dobroth, did a story recently on population. We have some new, you know, population numbers, and um, the pandemic is having an effect on birth rates due to economic hardship, social isolation, uncertainty about the future. Um, have we seen a? Uh, have you seen a decline in birth rates and pregnancies and couples um, looking to to get pregnant? So just
5: like the hospital numbers we've been seeing for COVID nationwide, it's hard to tease out everything going into it. We've been seeing a lot of positive COVID in the hospitals. But the articles I've read that sometimes are counting people who are just incidentally found to be COVID positive. And that makes it confusing for providers when they report those numbers. Are they there for COVID or do they happen to have COVID and are in the hospital? In this case, we're talking about birth rates. Did people choose to uh, decrease their birth numbers? A lot of them did. I think a lot of us thought that everybody was going to get bored when they're staying home and there'd be a surge <laughs> of babies. Does not appear to be the case. But there are a lot of other factors that go into this. Um, we, we know for certain that COVID causes miscarriages. Um, and so could that be a factor? I think it's a minor amount I, I don't think it's a substantial number that's contributed to it but trying to tease out all those those numbers to figure out what is the one cause when it's probably multi multifactorial but i do think a lot of people have been seeing an uncertain world and whether they want to bring kids into this when their income is is in question whether the the quality of life is in question i, I think that's a big part of it
2: and i guess a couple of the hospital numbers um birth numbers we've had a downward trend of births on Kodiak for at least five years. Um, So that precedes the COVID um, response in there. And so there's probably more to that whole picture um, than just the COVID numbers itself.
3: Yeah, I did see the nationwide decrease. I think it was like 3.7%, 4% in the last year and exactly what Dr. Jones Mm -hmm. said. And, And for Kodiak, I don't know the numbers, but Amy obviously does it does seem that there is an effect from the pandemic but hard to know for sure
0: well thank you all for your time again this this week um i'm not sure when we're going to meet again but uh, hopefully next time we meet we'll have more positive information and um, he gave us a lot of great information today uh, i particularly enjoyed the question of the day Mm. Uh, the the covid myth of the week (laughs) the myth of the week Uh, we'll try and bring that back for our next (laughs) session when we have one so thanks very much for your time you have a splendid day and hope you all keep safe out there
3: thank you all
0: right from kodiak mike jared and Dylan, 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 right. <laughs> what is your name, Dylan? Uh, signing off for this week. Thank you all. <laughs> what the heck, Mike? I'm Mike. I've got slow COVID. <laughs> all right. Have a good day.